Hey, Teresa, you know what? This episode's on me. Our podcast is free. It's Schmanners. Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. I don't hear BB cooing. That is because she is napping. Yay! <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Schmanners. I feel like we haven't, like, summarized the show at the beginning for a while, so this is an etiquette podcast. But, but we, I mean, we just did. No, we got extraordinary etiquette for ordinary occasions. <sighs> Here's the reason I bring it up. Okay. I feel the need to clarify every time we do a weddings episode, which this is, that what we are talking about mostly is you can put the word traditionally at the beginning of most sentences. Historically, traditionally. Historically, traditionally. Because here's the thing Teresa and I are under the opinion, or of the opinion, I should say, that. Everybody can do whatever they want when it comes to stuff like this. So when we get questions about how should I, unless the answer is however you want, that's not a very interesting (laughs) podcast because that would be the answer to every question. So most of the time the answer is, well, traditionally, this is what's expected. So I just always want to clarify that because I don't want to tell anybody how to do it so much as like how books might tell you to do it. All right, I'll allow it. Okay, so we're doing a weddings episode. And this one, I think, is a little tricky as far as the traditional aspect goes because it's all about who pays for what. Right, and the reason that we know who pays for what is because people have told us who pays for what. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. The only thing that has historical significance as far as who pays for what are these three things. The bride price... The dowry and the dower. Wait, what? Hold on. I only know one of these. Okay. I know dowry. Dowry is what the bride's family collects to, if you want to be gracious, gift to the groom. But it's it's paying the groom to marry the bride, right? Not, not exactly. So here is the difference between those three terms. Bride price is a payment by the groom or his family to the bride's parents, okay? Okay. This, let's uh, let's say generously, this is because families usually stayed together and worked together. So when a child leaves her parents, it's one they, less worker. It's one less worker. Gotcha. Less income. So the groom's family or the groom would pay the bride's family to make up for this loss income for at least a year. Okay. Okay. That's that's the generous thing we're going to say for history. With generous, not like, oh, how generous to pay for the bride. No. Generous of us to not say, it's, it's gross. <laughs> uh, it's not gross. It is something that uh, socioeconomically did make sense as far as leaving one family working family to go to another working family has it always been for that specific reason 
Probably not. You also make the point. I also want to clarify. I'm always the one in when we talk about traditional episodes. It's like, that's dumb. It's gross. I'm going to try not to do that because there are people for whom traditions are important. I'm just skeezed out by the idea of paying <laughs> for a bride. But that is because I come from the culture that I do in the time that I do. And there are maybe other people who don't feel the same way. So I'll try not to be so judgmental. Okay. Or at least keep it to myself. <laughs> so then there is the dowry, which is the money or goods, money and goods, that is given by the bride's family to the groom and his new family. Okay. Right? So it's like, a, it's like here, start it's your family. It's kind of like a nest egg. Okay. Right? And then the dower is property given to the bride by the groom or the the uh, groom's family or the uh, bride's family, depending upon how that negotiation went out, uh, at the time of marriage, which remains under the bride's ownership and control. Interesting. So kind of like an insurance policy. So it's like, hey, this is the bride, so like she can do with it what she wants, so don't. Be a bad person because you don't have access to that if she doesn't want you to. Kind of. Yeah. Um, so here's here's a couple of things. Okay. I'm ready. The practice of giving a dowry really goes back to some very ancient law codes, such as the Hammurabi in ancient Babylon. Right? Mm -hmm. So way, way, way back. So... Um, there's this idea of primogenitor, right? So the oldest son inherits all the, the family's property. Um, so this was the one of the reasons why the dowry was created, right? So it's kind of a gift of the piece of the inheritance to give to them, right? So it was intended for security as much really as lifetime security as the family could afford. Um and it was administered by her husband as part of the family assets. So the dowry was the part where, you know, here's a blank check. You guys spend it how you need to. Okay. Right? Um, so in the case of divorce, without, I mean, without reason, I put that in air quotes, meaning basically if the husband wanted a divorce and the wife really didn't, um, the wife, sorry, the, the man was required to give his wife the dowry she brought as well as the bride price, price he paid. Um, and if the woman died childless, all that money went back to her family, right? So in the divorce, these assets were distributed back from whence they came. Okay, sort of like alimony a little bit. Yeah, sort of like alimony. Um, but in ancient Greece, the it, it was usual practice to give a bride price, and the dowries specifically weren't exchanged until the late classical period, so like the 5th century BCE. Um, and then the husband had certain property rights to the wife's dowry. Um, and in addition, the wife might bring her own property to the marriage, which was not included in the dowry, which as a result, Hers alone. So this is like the dower, right? Gotcha. So these words are very similar, but they mean totally different things. Does that yes. make sense? So far, so good. I'm following you. 
Uh, it continued through the Roman period, um, and uh, this dowry began to include uh, not only anything from the bride's family, but any person could donate a part of their property as dowry for the woman. So this is like kind of almost like a wedding gift, gotcha. right? Okay. In the Roman period, I'm following you. Um, and uh, the groom would pre- would present gifts to the bride that were not considered payment or purchase price, but as indemnity to the loss of her father for her help. So this goes back to the idea of the um, of a woman working in a household. When you lose that woman, you lose the labor. Gotcha. And so this money was intended to satisfy that deficit. Okay. This is... Okay. I'm going to try. I don't want to be judgmental here, but there's something about all this, and I feel this too, because this is not just uh, isolated to the BCE period. Like you hear this talked about in like Downton Abbey and mm-hmm. you know Jane Eyre and you know Jane Austen novels and stuff. Right. Like I don't know. It's just such a the looking at it as like a monetary business like exchange is so. It seems a little cold. Yeah, yeah. And I I do understand that. We've talked about how marriage historically is more of a business endeavor than a love match type thing. Um so it, it actually the more you look into it, it it kind of it kind of makes me feel a little better about the idea of the bride price, the dowry, the dower where it's almost like insurance for the woman. Okay. It's almost like a protection that is granted by your family. Um, I, I first also, of all... I also think it's... Because oh. I'm looking at it, and the more I think about it, the more, like, Downton Abbey's a great example where there was a time where for a lot of families, their job was increasing their estate mm-hmm. and their inheritance. Like, that was their economy and the way you did that was through marriage and children and connections like that's it that their their business was family connections right that's how a lot of the aristocracy survived centuries and centuries yeah um and i was going to say that having researched the difference between these three things makes me feel almost like we've done ourselves a disservice by not explaining the difference. Okay. You know, because I guess I always thought that the bride price was kind of like, take my daughter here, give me money, you know, and the dowry was like, please take her, take her, take her. I take can't, my wife, please. I can't get rid of this thing, this yoke around my neck. I need to get rid of it. Well, I think that that's because probably in a lot of media, in when you hear this in like stories and stuff, it's always that, like it's never portrayed in any kind of positive light it's always like this is my daughter and we don't have much of a dowry it's like oh then i don't like it's always framed that way i'm not sitting i'm not going to defend the process of dowrying dowrying Mm -hmm. (laughs) dowrization but like i will say that like what is that the present participle i don't know what the present participle is present future Oh, uh, hypothetical tense. I do think that there's probably a lot of these exchanges that were completely amicable and like that the bride was like, yep, I'm happy with this match. He's fine. 
and the groom's like, yeah, she's fine. This is fine. Like, I guess the way to look at it is it wouldn't have gone on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years if it didn't sort of work for them for a while. Yeah. You know? And uh, not to say that there weren't hiccups, um, because during the Renaissance, um, one of the ways that they punished people for kidnapping or raping unmarried women was the abductor or rapist had to provide her dowry, right? So mm. if they were they were caught and uh, what what do you say? Convicted. Convicted, right? They had to pony up the money, which I think is a good thing, except that it does also kind of lead to the assumption that this woman is a uh now she's unmarried now she's unmarriable now she's a ruined woman but yeah i think that at the end of the day that even though you know forgetting everything i just said about like i bet in some circumstances like it's hard to get away from the fact that in these discussions in these arrangements in these business dealings the person at the being exchanged was always the wife you know what I mean? It's like yeah. even if you were paying the dower or the bride price, you still were trading. It was never looked at as trading the husband to the wife's family. You know what I mean? That, like is, that it, is true. It was it, always trading the wife to the husband's family. Like mm-hmm. that was the good being sold was the wife. Yes, but it, it wasn't always as... Uh, how do I want to say it? It wasn't always as crass as that, as I've explained. Yeah, definitely. The, the I mean, dower. It's, just, it's hard for me not right. to look back on it now. Of mm-hmm. like, I don't want to give the impression. I'm like, you know what? Those are the good old days. Let's get. <laughs> no, I think that there. It is not better, but I also think. What am I trying to say? I guess what I'm trying to say is I can see why making a movie or TV show or book that is being created now, set in that time period you're always going to color this exchange as bad. Yes. Okay. I can agree with that. It's very easy for us to perceive it as like all negative across the board. Right. Because that's dramatic. Exactly. Um, In addition, in some cases, nuns in the Renaissance period were also required to bring a dowry when joining a convent. uh, Because... you told me this before, and I assumed that this was like, ah, because they're marrying Christ. They're brides of Christ. Well, this may have been a reaction to parents putting less attractive daughters in convents so the more marriageable daughters could have larger dowries. Ooh. Ooh. I would like to meet the person who's like, you know what, from now on, you got to pay for nuns. It's like, wait, hold on. (laughs) One's like, I'm sick of all these families. So often we talk about uh, Victorian England and... uh, the idea of of marriage as a partnership, as a business negotiation, is very prevalent in this era uh, of, of our minds, you know. Not to say that love matches didn't happen and that everybody was, uh, was negotiating marriages, but in our mind, we really associate this kind of cold and unfeelingness with the Victorian era. Um, the reason that we, we do is because we talk about how a man had to prove his worth in keeping his wife at the level of life she was accustomed to. Mm-hmm. So you you never want to marry below what you like. You want to marry up and have a better life. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Well, I also think 
I also always try to acknowledge this when I can, which is when you live in a society that has the way things are done in that society, it's Mm -hmm. hard to look at the way other societies do it and make sense of that. Because like the idea... It's not living our experience. It's a different experience. I know that there are cultures still today that do like arranged marriages. And And dowries. and, And they work that stuff out. And for them, works fine. That's what they do. And so for me, like it's quote unquote weird because I don't do it because I don't know people that have done it. So like, it's hard for me because I haven't directly experienced it. Right. But I also know, like I, I, I think it's in Aziz Ansari's book, modern love. He talks about like the idea of arranged marriages and like, I think his parents, he says in the book mm-hmm. are from an arranged marriage. And like, it's a very interesting perspective on, it. I highly recommend this book, by the way, it's a very interesting kind of treatise on like modern dating and romance. But, that idea of like and of, and it has a lot of charts and graphs which i really liked yeah. and so for a lot of people that's the thing it's like the only experience i have in marriage is the one we're having now right you know what i mean so it, it's hard for me to picture other circumstances but that doesn't mean other circumstances are wrong just that like it's not what i'm used to anyway i i will agree with that so to the modern day I found a very interesting statistic on a website called The Knot, which is a pretty high-profile wedding website. According to them, and this is dated uh, 2015 survey, the average U.S. wedding cost $31,213. What? 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 There are houses you can buy for that in certain areas. Here's the thing. I'm flabbergasted. Here's the thing, y'all. Y'all, y'all, gather around. (laughs) When we were getting married, when Teresa and I were planning our marriage, our wedding, not our marriage, (laughs) we were planning how our lives together would go, when we were planning the event, um, there were people who told us that we could not do it for cheaper than $15,000. I think all told, not counting our honeymoon, our wedding was under $5,000. Correct. um, Because we are very frugal. And we made, I would say, it was a fine to-do with good food and drink and dance and fun. But we just made decisions where it's like, hey, at the end of the day, like, this is a single day event. That's the thing. is, well, if, if spending that much money is important to you. I don't know if it's about it, spending that much money is important to you. There are some details and I want to say aspirations of people about their wedding day that it is worth that much Very to them. Much. Okay, understood. And I and also want to acknowledge To that. me, it was not worth no, that much. No. And so, also, when you're talking about average, though, if we're looking at the not, we're talking about average. If the average is 31, that means that there's lots of people below that. Half the people are below that. Yes. And half the people are above that. That, so there are that still is people. what average means, I think. Well, so, maybe. No, that means median, right? Well, no, wait. Not half. <laughs> okay, wait a second. You don't mean half the people are below and half the people are above. No, That's a median. Of cost, yeah, there whatever. is, there are people above and there are people below. That's what uh, you there's mean. enough that when added together and divided by that number, <laughs> that's where we're at. Yes. But what I mean is, it's not that everyone is spending thirty-one thousand. There's some people spending five thousand and four thousand, and people who are just going to city hall and then like going to a friend's house for dinner, right? Versus people who are spending four million dollars on their wedding and that's how we get to the average of 31 but that said 
here's the thing. The way I look at it is this. It's yours. Do what you want. From for us, we just wanted friends there and have a good time and friends and family. And that was the only thing that really mattered to us. Right. Oh, I apologize. Uh that that number is from a 2014 real wedding survey, not 2015. I apologize. So um but who pays for what? Well, <laughs> according to the same survey, um, they reported that on average, the bride's parents contribute 43% of the total cost of the wedding. The bride and groom contribute another 43. The groom's parents spend about 12. And the remaining two is paid by family members or friends. So I think that they've, they've also included honeymoon in this mm-hmm. as well, um, where a lot of people do like we did, where in, in lieu of gifts... We set up a system for people to contribute towards our honeymoon fund. So why is the bride's family paying so much more than the groom's family? It all goes back to that idea of dowry, right? So it's the traditional discussion. It's It's the tradition um, going back to, like I said, the dowry and the dower um, where the idea is to kind of set up the new family, and this is the first step of their life together. We also, we talked about on the on the reception episode, right, where it was like until like the 70s, you would do the ceremony, and then you would like go back to someone's house and right. like have dinner. And right. it wasn't until the last couple decades where it was like, nah, now your reception is tens of thousands of dollars affair. Exactly, exactly. So in that process, in that tradition, the people who are really getting uh the short end of the stick here is the bride's family right because like the ceremony and the rehearsal dinner aren't getting more expensive at least not at the rate that like receptions are well i mean but but we'll talk about what it is that people that the different people are expected to do so like the bride's family some of the sections have gotten more expensive while some of them have remained pretty much the same also we don't want to be heteronormative here we have some questions later and we're going to discuss more about like you know bride and bridegroom and groom multiple parties thing once again traditional discussion right and it gets i think here's the thing i'm trying not to poo-poo tradition but it also comes down to like I don't know. We'll talk about it in the question. I'll give more of my answers then. But okay, who pays for what? So according to the Emily Post Institute, these are the things that if you want them, the bride's family is expected to pay for. Traditionally. Traditionally. Services of a wedding consultant. Invitations with enclosures and announcements. The bride's gown and accessories. Floral decorations for the ceremony and reception. And the bridesmaid's flowers. The bride's bouquet. Uh, unless it is a, a custom in your area for the bride for the groom to pay for it, uh, the tent, an awning, an aisle runner for the uh, for an outdoor ceremony, music for church and reception, transportation of the bridal party to ceremony and reception, all reception expenses, services of a traffic officer or security if necessary for reception, or maybe you you know have a procession or whatever. A uh, photographer, wedding photographs and wedding albums, videographer and the DVD, transportation of logging, 
transportation and lodging expenses for the officiant if from another town or invited to officiate by the bride's family, accommodations for the bride's attendance, bridesmaid's luncheon if hosted by the bride and her family, bride's gifts to her attendance, bride's gift to the groom and the groom's wedding ring. So Damn. if you want those things, according to the Emily Post Institute, it is within reason to expect the bride's family to pay for them. I mm, I don't often disagree with uh, the Post Institute, but I would say it is not reasonable to expect someone to pay for all of those things. Well, if, I mean, but every... I, I don't know how many people in my life experience have had all of those things at their wedding. That's what I'm saying. Right. This is my this is my saying. Well, like I said, if those are the things that you choose to have, that's what the bride's family is expected to pay for. I'm going to jump ahead because there's a question that I uh, I I'll get to it when and credit when I get to it. But a question basically along the lines of like, if you're the one expected to pay for those things. How much say do you get in going, well, you're not having those things then, unless you want to pay for it. I'm not paying for you to have blank and blank and blank. I'm not paying to have a traffic cop for you. Well, we're going to talk about this um, because the money discussion isn't easy, but it is imperative that you do it beforehand. And if there are certain things that as the bride's family, you do not want to pay for, that needs to be said up front. That question is from Corey, by the way. You need to, um, I think it's a good idea to set a budget and talk about um, we will go this far and no farther. Anything after that, you must make up the difference yourself. Um, and like I said, this is not an easy conversation. Talking about money never is. I also just think that just think there's so many factors, Teresa, because and I don't know why it sounds like I'm arguing with you. <laughs> I'm not. But like if you think about it, like a lot of these traditions were also established when people were getting married very young. And I bet now that statistically it 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 has the average age of marriage is probably increased higher. Women's uh is twenty six and men is thirty one. Okay. So like if you're 26 and 31 on average, like even if you went to college, even if you got your master's, you've been out of school for a while. Mm -hmm. So like you have ostensibly a job or something. I mean, right. Which hypothetically. is which is why at the beginning I mentioned that um, according to their survey, it's about 40 percent bride family, 40 percent um, the married couple mm -hmm. or the, the marrying couple. Gotcha. But it also seems to me like the other thing is like like economic disparity between because we talked about like marrying up right in the mm -hmm. Victorian era and the arrangements of like what you're accustomed to. That's not so much the concern anymore. So the idea of like, okay, might be, I mean, a super rich groom's family and, you know, a bride's family that does okay. And it's like, okay, well, should the bride's family still be expected to cover 43% of the wedding at that point. This again, I think is why it's so important to sit down and talk about expectations before this gets out of hand. Um, because in my experience, the second that you say wedding flowers, wedding photographer, 
the price just goes up. Mm -hmm. Um, If you were able just to, quote, plan a party, it would probably cost a lot less than the same wedding reception. Just go buy a white dress. (laughs) It's a big difference. Um, So it's... Well, and don't even get us started on wedding rings versus regular rings or diamonds or... (sighs) So We might have to do a whole diamonds episode didn't so, we i thought that we no, did we, i think we talked we've mentioned it before there's um, a great stuff you should know episode all about diamonds listen to it it'll change your whole perspective on diamond rings so like i said it is important that expectations are are aired you know and and everybody knows going in so that costs can be kept reasonable so let me tell you about the groom's responsibilities okay. the groom families Traditional expenses for the groom and his family include the bride's engagement and wedding rings, the groom's attire, ties and gloves for the groomsmen, if not part of their rental package, accommodation for the groom's attendants, accommodation for the groom's parents and siblings, the bachelor dinner, if the groom wants one, um, all costs for the rehearsal dinner, the officiant's fee or donation. Uh, So that's kind of a split. We see that the bride's parents are responsible for his travel and accommodation, whereas the groom's parents would be responsible for his or her fee, right? That's a little bit of a split there. Um, unless the officiant is invited by the groom's family and then they are responsible for the transportation and lodgings. Gotcha. Right? So whoever invites the officiant, no, you invite them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pays for their their lodging and transportation. Uh, groom's family is responsible for the marriage license, the transportation of the groom and the best man to the ceremony, the bride's bouquet, uh, again, when it's local custom for the groom to pay for it, the bride's going away corsage if she wants one, boutonnieres for Excuse the... Me? The what? Yeah, well... Going away corsage? It is because when the bride throws her bouquet, she no longer has flowers. So some tradition uh, suggests that she receive a pin-on or a wrist corsage in the place of those flowers. Did we just have two bouquets? I didn't throw my bouquet. Oh, okay. I thought you had a practice bouquet that you I had- threw? Maybe. Maybe I did throw my practice bouquet. Yeah. I had a uh, a nice little... Bouquet of daffodils I threw, I think. Because um, I'm looking at your wedding bouquet right now. So right. that's how I knew. Uh, let's see. Boutonnieres for the groom's attendants. Corsages for the immediate members of both families, unless the bride included them in her florist order. Uh, oh, they they have on here twice, the efficiency fee. Uh, the groom's, you know, tip. <laughs> the groom's hey, gift to the talking. bride. Here's, here's a 20. Uh, the groom's gifts to his attendants and the honeymoon expenses. So there you have it. I see. Um, here's a couple things that we that Who I pays for the fog machine. Um, when does it take place during the ceremony or the I reception mean, I'm, or the I'm rehearsal for dinner? It throughout, <laughs> start to finish, that is going to be foggy up in that piece. Uh, probably the bride's family. Maybe it could just be donated. Maybe. Um, the maid of honor and bridesmaid expenses. We've talked about this a little bit, uh, but this is according to the Emily Post Institute. They say the purchase of their apparel and accessories, transport to and from the wedding location, a contribution to a gift from the bridesmaids to the bride, 
an individual or group gift from the attendance to the couple if being in the wedding is not the gift. And optionally, uh, a shower or luncheon or bachelorette party for the bride. Same thing with the best man's, groomsmen, ushers, whatever. Um, pretty much all the same, but pertaining to their side of the attendee. And then guest expenses. Guests are expected to pay for their transportation to and from the wedding, lodging expenses and meals, and their wedding gift. Okay. Well, that's a good start. How about we take a break here? We put in uh, some thank you notes and some promos. And then we come back and do some questions. Okay. This week, uh, Schmaners is sponsored by our friends at Sun Basket. We are no strangers to meal subscription services. We're a big fan. Uh, we use a couple different ones. And you know what? I just love the idea in general. And we'll speak specifically about Sun Basket. But if you've never tried a meal subscription service before, maybe you're wary because you're like, oh, I don't know how to cook. Well... Don't worry about that because there are step-by-step instructions um, that come with Sunbasket. And in doing it and following the instructions, you'll find that you've learned to cook. It's And, and not only that, my favorite thing about Sunbasket, everything you need comes in a bag all together. All you have to do is open the bag and get everything out. Like, you don't have to go shopping. You don't have to worry about, like finding the stuff in your house it's all there in one bag and these ingredients by sun basket are um healthy recipes with organic non-gmo ingredients that they deliver straight there um and you have the option you can choose from paleo gluten-free vegetarian breakfast and family size options it's amazing and right now you can go to sunbasket.com that's s-u-n-b-a-s-k-e-t dot com slash schmanners s-h-m-a-n-n-e-r-s today and you can get your first three meals free that's sunbasket.com slash schmanners for three free meals sunbasket.com slash schmanners let the sunshine in oh that's a good one hey thanks Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases. I ask them questions. They're good ones. And then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flowbie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. with Brexit. Have you seen Happy Valley yet? How do British people pronounce Edinburgh, Leicester, or Norwich? Not like that. Are you tired of getting your world news from reliable sources, often with no puns or sexual innuendo? Why was there a butcher's hat haunting Coronation Street? What's Coronation Street, and why is Dave Holmes obsessed with it? International Waters pairs a team of comedians in LA against a team of comedians in London in a pop culture battle royale. Join us once a fortnight to hear the best comedians in the world trade jokes and stories and maybe even learn something at the same time. 
International Waters with me, Dave Holmes. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Okay, so we have a lot of questions, and we're okay. going to try to do our best to answer some of these questions. First, this is from ZZ. Am I supposed to pay for the hair, makeup, uh, sorry, dress, makeup, hair, and gifts for bridesmaids? What about the flower girl? This is, I like this question because this is a thing that happens a lot where you see people do like, I don't know. I, we've had it both ways. For our wedding, people are just allowed to wear, I think we just wanted people to have ties and dresses in the like. In a color scope. Right. But other than that, it was wear whatever you want. Versus right. there's also been, I've been a part of weddings where it was like, you have to rent this from here. And wear it. So who's exactly. responsible for that? Um, well, like I said, according to Emily Post Institute, the bridesmaids are responsible for their own apparel and accessories. Um, so as far as as tradition goes, they are expected to pay for everything that they will wear on their body. Salon services are responsible of the people who require those services, I think. Um, so, so the party, like the whatever the person getting married who requires their attendees to have that service. Exactly. So if in this question you want your bridesmaids to have their hair and makeup done, I think that you are responsible for that. Um, Here, here's, I think I've been thinking about this a lot. I think because we had, I think we didn't have, yeah, we didn't episode about like the wedding parties. If you are planning to have people rent clothes or, whatever some kind of cost associated with being in your party i think you need to have that figured out before you ask them and i think you should say i would like you to be a part of my party and here's what will go along with that because if someone's not able to afford it you should they should be able to say no to you i i I agree and it's really about getting in front of these kind of, I don't want to say arguments. I want to say issues, issues, complications, complications. right? It's getting in front of these things, um, so that if you if you know that you want all the bridesmaids to wear the same dress from the same place and the same color, same style, and it's going to be expensive, you should let them know ahead of time. Um, with with I think think the caveat of saying, hey. There's going to be some financial responsibilities associated with this. So I totally understand exactly if that's an issue. Because what you don't want to do is like, hey, will you be my party? Great. And then like a month later, be like, oh, by the way, it's going to cost you $1,500 to be in my party. Bye. And like, right. so now they're in the position of having to say no to you after already have said yes. And I think yes. that's an unfair position to put people in. Open, honest, forefront communication is very important in these situations. Um, this question is uh, from dozen times on Twitter, um, whose username is Heart Rainbow Heart. So I didn't know, like the emoji, I didn't know how to read that. Um, <laughs> if bride one and bride two, in our case, have parents with different income levels, how to manage your parents want to pay for this? Mine can't make a contribution on that level. I don't want either to set to feel uncomfortable. This this is a little more tricky. Um because you you need to be open about what it is you want and expect at your wedding, but you don't want to make one party feel like they contributed less and therefore are less important. 
I would suggest that you find a way to make both sides of the family involved, whether it is um, monetary or maybe in labor, right? So one could act as like your planner or your stage manager for the day. (laughs) So if, if one family can contribute a little more money, maybe the other family can contribute a little more time. Um, if they want to hand make the boutonnieres and corsages, if they want to um, DIY some of the decorations, uh, things like that. There are ways that you can divide these things to make people feel like their contribution is equal. I also think that you could go um, inspired by like gift registries, make a budget with all the different things that need covered and need handled and then say what of this would you like to take care of because maybe one person covers one big thing and the other family covers lots of little things you know what i mean and so that way there's more of a balance and they are participating in a, uh, participating at a level that they're comfortable with rather than you having to go to them and say i need you to cover this and now it's an awkward conversation. Let them pick the things that they want to cover for you and then start from there, maybe. I think that's a good idea. Uh, if you are worried about one family seeing the other's contribution um, with dollars and cents next to it, maybe once you have covered that area, remove that section from the worksheet that you're doing yeah so that the other family doesn't feel bad about seeing oh well they said they'd cover your dress that's going to be like 700 bucks we can't do that and all of this boils down to like the frustration at least i can't speak to other cultures because i haven't lived them but in american culture this like frustration and taboo about discussing money it is hard. It's going to be hard. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, like it, it also happens like we get questions about like when you go to dinner, how do you split the check? Someone owes you money. How do you ask them for it? Like we're all so afraid to discuss people paying for things. And like when you think about it, it's completely logical and reasonable that some people have more money than others. So they're able to contribute more than others. That's not a thing that should inspire shame or embarrassment from people. It's just fact. It's just logic. It's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And yet I think because we have a lot of hangups about money and how much we're able to contribute, it, it makes it awkward. So maybe the key is however much they're able to do, show your appreciate, appreciation at the same level for both. That's a great idea. Because Absolutely. It's, it's all about comparatively, like it's not about how much each gives, it's how much each gives according to their means. That's very eloquent, dear. Hey, thank you. This question is from Hannah. Whose parents, if any, are expected to contribute if you're gay? I've always heard the bride's parents pay, but there will be two brides when my dove and I get married. Um, I tied the, I put these questions back to back. Yeah. I think the, the two conversations are kind of tied together. They are. Uh, this, this is where I really advocate a meeting of the minds to come together, um, figure out a budget, and then contribution. Uh, and hopefully you are able to provide some of the, the monies for your wedding yourself, um, so that there are three parties to draw from and not just two. And here's the good news. According to that not statistic, you're going to have 43%, 43%, and 43%. You're going to have a budget (laughs) of 129%. 
it's going to be off the charts. Maybe uh, not. Maybe that's not how that works. Uh, maybe you could start by asking the parents of these brides, your your parents and then her parents, what it is they would like to contribute um, and go from there. So if it's, if it's, I, we can give you $2,000, then that's what they can give you. So buy things according to what they can give you. Or if it's, we'd like to pay for one dress and one, uh, and the reception. So here's our question. To tie it back to Corey's question that I mentioned earlier. If parents or other relatives is contributing money towards wedding finances, how much consideration should the couple give them in how that money gets spent? So like if, if a parent says, I want to pay for the music for the band, mm-hmm. do they get to pick it? If they say, I want to pay for the table decorations, do they get input on what the table decorations are? You know what I mean? This is also very tricky because it is hard for a person to feel like their contribution is appreciated if they are cut out of the decision-making of what that money does. Mm -hmm. I definitely understand that. But it also is important for a couple to make decisions about this day that they enjoy as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a difference between One family who wants to invite extra guests, you asking for them, well, we don't have the money to cover those extra guests. If you would like them to attend, I need to ask you to pay for them. That's different. Um, I think that that is appropriate. Uh, But to cut someone out of the decision-making process completely... I think is is a disservice to your your relationship as a family. Yeah, I think that's like you mentioned earlier. There's two different contributions someone can make. I mean, there's lots of, but like, money, time, labor are the three really. And so, like, the thing is, planning a wedding and putting on a wedding is one a long process. Even even a short process is a long right it's months. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so this. It, 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 uh, maybe I should say on average, there are probably elopements where people do it in a day. But um, and so like it's a thing people want to be involved in. A, a great example of this is so when we were planning our wedding, we were just going to do like potluck food and like have, you know, one main dish that like somebody made a bunch of and then like have everybody that, bring stuff. I think that I wanted to just go to a grocery store and buy like grocery store ki- chicken. Well, and so your mom was like, no, we want, we would like to cover food. And so then that discussion, you know, changed to, okay, so you and your mom work together to try out different places and pick a place together. Right. Uh, it worked out that she w- had a price point she was comfortable spending. She found several caterers within that price point. And she said, which one of these caterers has the food that you like? So there was a lot of like back and forth input. And I think that that's where it works out best is like mutual input. And it's not really compromise. So it's just just like teamwork, working together on Mm -hmm, it maybe mm -hmm. is a good way to look at it. So if if, 
a family wants to contribute money and have a little bit of insight into into the wedding or input, I mean. Maybe it's a good idea for them to choose like like my mother did, the price point, and then you allow you to choose the details within that price point. That way everybody feels like they're involved. Uh, this question is from John. Elopements or other non-traditional yet smaller ceremonies, should any help from the parentals be expected? And I think the word in there that's very tricky, John, is expected. Expected. Um, elopements are tricky because usually for an elopement, there are not a lot of guests present. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is... It is I, I suppose I'd want to say usually just the married couple going and doing the thing away from everyone else to expect families to contribute to that Am seems a little what different. I think elopement is like elopement to me is like forget all this, let's just go to the courthouse. I mean, it doesn't have to be courthouse or it I guess be it's to Vegas, Vegas or yeah, whatever. But, um, but, but it, the whole point is like we're doing it fast and we're doing it cheap. Right. Otherwise, if you're talking about like, no, you're talking about, as John said, a small ceremony at that point. If you're like. Right. So like my dad, when dad and Carol got married, they just had like her family, like her kids and us there. That's not an elopement. That's just a very small ceremony. Like Mm -hmm. it was planned ahead of time. An elopement is you catch a flight to Niagara. Right. And it's just you and, and the other and like an officiant. I guess my question is this. Can you plan an elopement? No, I don't, I don't think so either. I feel like at that point you're just like if that's you're planning just a it, really small ceremony. You're just doing a super private ceremony. Elopement to me seems defined by the spur of the momentness of it. Right, and I okay. Here's what I'm gonna say: If you're not gonna invite your family, you shouldn't expect them to pay for it. I think that, and the re- expectation is a tricky game because expectation leads to disappointment. I think that if you're planning a small ceremony in which cost is involved, involve the parents in it. Like, hey, here's what we're planning. We would like you, we would love your help in arranging it, right? Then let them offer. Let them do what they're comfortable with. Because you also, John, I think at that point, if you say, we want a super small ceremony where only like four people are invited, if your parents sit there and go well we want to invite all our friends so we'll pay for a bigger ceremony if you let us invite all of our friends now you're in a position where you no longer are getting what you want because your parent you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. as we've said about like the input and teamwork if you get parental support in it there is an exchange that goes on there of involvement and so i i just keep that in mind as we're talking about like if if what you want is different from what your parents want, it makes things a little bit tricky when asking them to help you fund a thing that they don't want. Yes. But that said, I think it is completely reasonable to present your idea to your parents, invite them to be involved, and see what they kind of offer and what level of involvement they're comfortable with. Right. But if you are if you don't want them involved, it is, I would say, dangerous. <laughs> To ask them to finance. Especially if, I mean, you know your parents. If you're like, they're not going to be happy we're doing a small ceremony. But still, let's ask them for money. 
That's a little tricky there. That's a tough needle to thread. But listen, John, if you think you can do it, mm-hmm. go for it. Um, this question is from Kevin. I like this question. I've had to deal with this many times. How much should I reasonably, reasonably underlined there by myself, be expected to pay for a bachelor party as the best man? Now, I've been the best man. I have been in several different groom's parties. So I would like to take a swing at this, Teresa. Sure. I don't think the best man should ever be expected to entirely pay for the bachelor party if it is a thing where you are like, so for example, if you, the groom, and 10 other guests are going out to eat, the guests should cover their own food and maybe chip in 10 bucks, five bucks towards the groom's dinner, right? I don't think that the, whether it's, you know, best maid, best man, whatever, best person. I don't think it's their job to cover 12 meals for everyone and also 12 admittances to laser tag and also 12, like... I agree. And again, all of this should be expressed before you get there. So when you invite people to, like, the bachelor party, on the invitation before people have the chance to say yes or no you need to outline what it is you'll be doing what it is they will be expected to pay expected for to contribute $50 towards the evening the there end. you go because and i also think that it's a conversation to have with the groom mm-hmm. of like or whoever you're planning the party for of like hey what would you like to do and then you know plan accordingly because it's like if they're like well here's what i want we're all going to like go and have a eight course dinner and then go to the you know go to a concert where the tickets are 125 dollars. like okay that's gonna limit either we need to invite a bunch of people to cover the cost or maybe four people are gonna show you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. the more expensive it is the less you should expect people to want to pay for it yeah only in which i mean like how many of your friends could really afford a five thousand dollar entry fee to a bachelor party you know what i mean like none of my friends yeah none of my friends including myself so like it's another thing of like i think that there's a conversation that needs to happen between the person planning it and the person they're planning it for so that then they know how to discuss it with the people they're inviting Mm -hmm. this question is from riley i want to get married and have a wedding but i'm afraid of the cost should i stave off getting married until i can afford it or just settle for a cheaper ceremony and Riley put settling quotes there, not me. Oh, okay. Um, I don't like the idea of settling. Yeah. I do think that you may have to compromise. You may have to mitigate your expectations. I would expectations. like to use a different word. Prioritize. Prioritize. That is a good word. The things that are the most important to you, spend the money there. Instead of spreading it all over the place. Yes. Um, because I'm going to use one of your turns of phrase. Ooh. At the end of the day. Yeah. It's just one day. So maybe you can find those specific things that you want to spend your money on so that you can have a wedding that you enjoy in a timely fashion. If you find that there are items 
a number of items that you are not willing to let go of, then wait. I mean, it it might take a little longer to to get that what to get what you want, but if those are the things that are the priority, then I guess you'll have to wait. Yeah, and you could also always ask your people to give you, uh, you know. There's lots of different websites. Um, the Knot is one. And there's a bunch of other ones where you can set up gift registries where people contribute money. Yep. Through that. We and, did do that for a honeymoon honeymoon fund. And you could use that to help cover the cost of the wedding. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's what we did. We went through and was like, okay, where do we want to spend money and where don't we care? So like for our table decorations and bouquets and stuff, we went to like second, you know, thrift stores and stuff and bought flowers. We bought fake flowers and went to michaels and bought fake flowers and made table decorations out of mirrors and flowers that we bought at places and it looked great yeah we did terrific um here's yeah like i i mean we talked about earlier my bouquet live flowers were not important to me so i used silk flowers now here's the thing oh i will tell you from experience bringing it down very very important thing from experience my one regret about our wedding my one regret regret my (laughs) regret is that we didn't have a DJ, that we didn't have somebody, a person who was handling music. I just made like a long, I made like a four hour playlist of music and plugged it into the computer and went. A DJ has so many skills as far as like, ah, what does the crowd need right now? Get them dancing. So there was some dancing at our wedding. There could have been more, I think, if there was a human being kind of reading the room Mm. and playing. So like if I could do one thing differently about the day, it would have been that. But other than that, okay. we did everything great. For our, our vowel renewal at our 60th wedding anniversary. 60th? I'm planning on doing it every five years. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, this question, this last question is from Keenan because I think that this is something that's going to come up a lot. Um, basically, I'll summarize it in this. Keenan is a classical pian- pianist uh, who gets asked to perform at a lot of weddings. And the person asking them often offers like, and that can be your gift. And Keenan says, like, well, I was going to do that anyways, but, like, now they're asking. <clears throat> and I think I'm going to, like, that's question one, right? Okay. What do you do when someone's like, yeah. And and then the question two is, from Keenan, is it schmannerly to ask for a fee if it isn't offered? This is a thing that happens a lot where someone, like, offers, like, and I'll take photos for your wedding as the gift. Or someone will ask, like, Hey, you, my friend, know how to take photos. Would you take photos at our wedding without any, like, am I going to be paid for? It's my job. This is difficult because it's all about, I think, the phrasing of the way that you go about this. Um, Some people may be expecting when they ask you, hey, will you play at our wedding? They expect that plus, right? So it's not a kind of a a negotiation of, well, yes, I am happy to gift my talents to your wedding um, and that will be my contribution to your new life together, right? So that's the gift that you're giving. Um, Or if someone says, would you please play at our wedding, play at our wedding and you say, uh, it does take a certain amount of, of time and labor for me to learn these pieces. 
So I would appreciate compensation for that time. Let me phrase it differently because I was thinking about it. This is how I would say it. Hey, would you play at our wedding? Like, okay, I, I will. Normally, I would charge blank, but because we're friends, um, I I think we can make that lower reasonable number. Because, like, here's here's the thing. I had someone talk to me once. I was I was thinking about, like, consulting for, like, podcasts and consulting for people. And they mm -hmm. asked, well, how much do you charge? I was like, ugh, I'm so uncomfortable with that. And they said, okay, well, cut that out because your time is worth money, especially if you're doing it as your job. If you are a pianist or a photographer or a videographer or a baker or whatever and you make money doing it and someone asks you to do it, it's costing you money if you don't get paid because that's time you could be spending getting paid somewhere else. So it's always – this is the same like we get uncomfortable talking about money, but it is completely reasonable to – ask for payment on a job if if you were a doctor or a surgeon and someone came to you and said like hey we're friends would you do this surgery <laughs> for free you would be like no i am smiling you are correct right so like just because it's for the wedding that doesn't mean it's so i think say how much your time is worth because so what you don't want to do is be sitting there at the reception like grumbling to yourself because you see all these people eating and dancing and having fun and like enjoying the day while you're stuck at the piano right. and also not getting paid for it. And if your time is worth the amount of money that you would also spend on a gift, that can be the exchange rate. Yeah. So if, if you said, well, I normally charge $500, but I will, in lieu of that fee, make this my present to you. If you're comfortable with that, because I don't know that I've ever bought someone a five hundred dollar oh, wedding I'm, present. So like, I all I, right, I, that's maybe five hundred dollars is a little too much. No, but I think that I think that that's a fair point because I think most wedding photographers is like five hundred dollars. So I think that's, oh man, Travis McElroy, try two thousand dollars. Okay, perfect. Then that's even better because keep that in mind. If someone says to you like, and that could be your gift to us, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say. Well, I'm willing to negotiate a discount as my gift to you, but my I usually charge two thousand mm -hmm. dollars to photograph a wedding, so I can knock that down to a thousand dollars as my present to you and save you a thousand bucks. But like, I can't give up a day's work for two thousand dollars. Like, there's a lot of processing and like editing and stuff. Yeah, that work goes into after the, the wedding. Yeah, yeah, so like, I I can't give you a $2,000 wedding gift. So the answer is it's very hard, but you are, you have, if it's important to you to make your time worth something, you should need to do it. Don't agree to anything you're not comfortable with. Like hands down the end. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, go check out all the other amazing shows on maximumfun.org. They're all incredible. They're all great. I endorse all of them. Ding! Also, smiling and thumbs up. <laughs> also, go check out Brent Brentelfloss Black's um, ringtone of our what is that theme song? Theme song, intro, outro? yeah, intro, yeah. outro. Uh, it is available where those things are sold. Also, check out the profile of Kayla M. Wassel, who did our 
uh, thumbnail art and banner art. Uh, you can also go to macroyshows.com to find all the shows that macros are a part of, our P.O. boxes, our Twitter, all that stuff. But uh, at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S, um, you can email us, SchmannersCast at gmail.com, join the Schmanners Facebook group, all of those things. But, oh, and check out our new show, The Kind Rewind. Oh, yeah, where we talk about uh, different forms. of Right now we're watching Buffy Season 1. Um, also... Shout out to Emily Post. Thank you, Post. Um, <laughs> and I think that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVV required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.